What's up? What's up? What's up? Podcast world. Chad Belding back at you. Another episode. I'm fired up about this one. This life ain't for everybody podcast. Thank y'all so much for the ratings, the reviews, the subscriptions, the support. It's humbling to see our TV shows and our podcast continue to grow as well as some of our manufacturing brands. Thank y'all again so much for supporting the partners and sponsors that continue to support us on a daily basis. Today's episode of this life ain't for everybody is brought to you by our friends. Again, America, Lynchburg, Tennessee, Jack Daniels. Enjoy it responsibly, but enjoy it. Whether it's quarantine, hunting, season fishing season jack daniels has always been there for us to create memories with and to help us through tough times and the good times jack daniels thank y'all so much for believing in what we believe in conservation and living off the land being a provider so please go out and support jack daniels lynchburg tennessee but remember please do it responsibly and like i said i'm fired up about today's episode i got another bone collector with us we're going to get to the bottom of where that name came from because i can't seem to get it out of waddell i think he's messing with me i think it came from a julia roberts denzel washington movie i think was in the, was in the bone collector today's guest is the one and only nick munt nick how are you bro good man how's it going good am i on thanks it, for having me oh man i'm so happy you're here dude i've it's it's our our friendship's funny because it's like and you tell me if i'm wrong nick but I think we've always had like a mutual respect for each other, but at one time in our careers, it was, you guys were focused on the bone collector. And then there was the, then there was the phase of the hardcore and then it became kind of like a competition deal, but it was never competitive with us. It was just always like, well, they're over there and we're over here, but we always seem to like, like get along and like say hello and kind of give each other like that confirmation that, Hey, everything's cool. We're buddies. But it seems like in the last, the last 18 months, it's really been able to flourish and, and, and we've really been able to see a friendship blossom. I think just because we have so much in common, is that fair to say? Yes, for sure. And, um, you know, it's kind of funny you say, you say that because, uh, you know, some of my best, best friends in this industry are, uh, guys that are across the lines with other sponsors, different color camo and all that kind of stuff. And that just doesn't bother me too much. You know, I just, I'm not, you know, my friends are my friends and the people that I like are, are no matter what color they're wearing, I'm going to hang out with them. And, uh, you know, I, I never had any animosity toward, anything you guys are doing and and uh you know i've just always been just a normal old guy lucky to be you know doing what i'm doing and um support the brands that you know support me but at the same time i got friends all over that wear different things and do different things so all good bro all good yeah and that's what it it, it always was and and i always got a little bit not apprehensive or nervous i just you know you guys are bone collector and and you guys were really um you were doing big things. So like I would see it like a Kansas city Cabela's or I'd see you'd come and represent hardcore once in a while. And I always wanted to be like, you know, closer to you or like talking to you and learning because I've, I got the utmost respect for what you guys have d- done at bone collector and you kind of, your stories, um, does it parallel Waddell's in, in the beginning stages in a way of in the right place at the right time kind of with, and I want you to explain what I mean by that, but were, were you were, you were like scripted to be on bone collector or be a real tree personality in the, in the beginning, were you? No, basically how it all got started for me was, um, I'm a barber by trade and, um, in my hometown, um, I just did a lot of hunting and then, um, I was approached by, um, a guy that I was kind of, I was actually helping his wife, um, do some haircuts and stuff at her little barbershop that she had. And he was an outfitter. And so, um, I had my 
photo albums albums and stuff there with me and he looked through them he said man you know you would you consider coming to work for us as a guide you know we could use some good guides and i said heck yeah well then he ended up he was working with jeff smith from 7j outfitters who lived next door to him um and so uh i got connected with jeff and he and i hit it off right away i uh, started guiding there at 7j outfitters we guided for uh whitetails mule deer elk turkeys and antelope and uh a few years in, um, the guys from Realtree, you know, we, we, uh, I think Jeff had been in business just like a year or two before I started working for him. And so we really got the ball, ball rolling and, um, man, things were going great. Uh, we really built a really good whitetail archery destination there. And, um, so he was approached by David Blanton at uh, a show one time, I think at the Dixie Deer Classic in North Carolina. And David said, Hey, we'd really love to come and do a show with you guys. And so Jeff said, that'd, that'd be great. You know, we could use the promotion. And, and uh, we always, you know, I always liked the guys from Realtree. I mean, they were, they're, you know, to me at that time, you know, there's only a few outdoor shows and they were on TNN. And so um, Bill and David and Michael were the guys that I watched, you know. And at that point, Michael was just getting a little bit of airtime. But you got to see him quite a bit because he was behind the scenes doing some interviews and stuff like that. So you could really tell by Michael's persona that he was a cool cat, you know. And so, uh uh, that very first season, Bill and David came and hunted with us at 7J and I was guiding David Blanton and he and I just hit it off right off the bat. And it was that very first afternoon. Um, I showed him a bunch of the footage, you know, that I had been taking over the years. Uh, Jeff and Deb at 7J Outfitters have five kids between them. And so I videoed all their first deer and turkey hunts. Um, you know, I'd always have my video camera, uh, when I was scouting and, uh, filming my clients and all that kind of stuff. So I just had loads and loads of footage. And back at that time, nobody was filming stuff like they are now. You know, everybody's got a camera now. But back then, I mean, nobody was really doing this. Um, and so I sat down with David that very first afternoon um, in the middle of the day. You know, in September, you hunt till nine in the morning. You got a break from nine to three o'clock, basically. And so in the middle of the day, you take a nap and then you sit around and yuck it up in camp. And so, um, I asked David if I could show him some of my footage. And so I showed him oh, a bunch of deer footage and some really great up close turkey hunts with the kids. And he just said, man, he said, you, you run a good camera. He said, would you consider, you know, coming to work for us at Realtree? And I was like, yeah, like dream come true. Right. So, um, I actually went to Jeff and Deb and said, Hey, you know, I had been working for them probably five years at this point. And uh, I was one of their head guides. Um, I had a camp um, that I was running for them in Wyoming. I had seven or eight guides under me and, um, I, Jeff basically just let me run the show in that camp. And, uh, so I asked him, you know, Hey, I, I, this is something I'd really love to do, you know, and I just didn't want to burn any bridges because those guys are like family to me. And so they said, no, it, you know, it's a great opportunity, but they asked me to work for them for one more year so they could find someone to replace me. And so I did that. And, um, then I went to work for Realtree a year later and my very first hunt that I actually filmed, um, I was guiding turkey hunters the next spring for 7J and Michael came out. Um, we got him his first Miriams and I filmed it. And then, you know, it just kind of took off for, from there. And so uh, for nine years, um, I filmed for Realtree and, and uh, those first four or five years, I was with Bill Jordan exclusively. He and I would jump on his airplane and we'd fly to Montana or fly to Texas or fly here, fly there. And so I was Bill's right-hand man for, you know, those first, those first, you know, bunch of years. And, um, then, 
then we kind of started uh, getting into real tree road trips. And so uh, Michael and, and our producer at the time, Steve Finch, had a good idea for this show. It was kind of the, the same time when all the MTV stuff was kind of coming out. Um, completely new look, uh, new feel for the show with the way we do interviews now. And so um, Michael said, hey, we're going to be doing this this new show and you know, I'm going to have you as one of the camera guys and, and you're going to be, you know, you're not going to get to hunt very much, but you know, you'll be, you'll be filming usually whoever I have as a guest. So then when we're around camp, you know, we're going to film all the stuff that takes place around camp, all the fun and we'll play wiffle ball and pull pranks on each other. And that's going to be the meat and potatoes of the show, you know, our lifestyle, because people weren't really showing that, you know, they were showing the, you know, scoop up a, a plate of food and sit down and a few things here and there, but then mostly it was set up the kill, the recovery and, you know, stuff like that. So in a 20 minute episode, you were getting some meat and potatoes of the way camp life was, but what we really wanted to do was show the back scene and show just how much fun we were having in camp and, and what really goes on, you know, instead of just kind of the cutaways in the tree, everybody knows what happens in the tree. And so, um, we started that off and man, it just, and, and let me say too, at that time, Michael was getting sent out by Realtree every weekend. He was doing shows, you know, he was doing appearances here and there and trade shows and, and retail appearances. And so, you know, his persona really started to grow and, you know, it, it, everybody knows Wydell's personality. I mean, he's super fun guy, full of baloney, can talk to anybody. And, you know, he just meant to be where he was, you know, he's just old redneck from Booger Bottom, Georgia with a heating and air conditioning degree. You know, doesn't come from any money. His dad's a hardworking construction guy. And, you know, he just kind of fell into this deal like I did. And so, you know, we just went, you know, all those years doing real tree uh, road trips. And and as he and I, you know, kind of got our legs under us, you know, it just grew and grew. And then um, finally, after he was doing all these appearances and his persona had grown so much, he just just came to me came to me one day and said hey you know it's time we need to start our own brand you know we're gonna get a brand going get a tv show going and um of course you know we're gonna we're gonna get um our blessings from realtree to go out on our own and hopefully they'll sponsor us and support us and so you know we went through all that kind of stuff and then we started bone collector and um you know and already we're 13 years into that so that's kind of the the quick version of how everything kind of came together, you know? So it was nine years of, of real tree. The first four or five, you were Bill Jordan's personal cameraman, right hand man, pretty much. And then you said yeah. the, the last, the last part of that nine year tenure was the beginning of road trips. Well, probably about, uh, probably about five or six years into my real tree relationship. That's when road trips started. I can't even remember the, I can't even remember what season that was, but I pretty much went to work for Realtree. Um, I was always, I was always on a freelance basis, but I was busy with them the whole season. You know, they kept me busy the whole season. And so I think my very first season filming for them full time was in about 98, I think. 1998. Um, yep. The way that I remember meeting you through TV was a scene and I think it was Montana or Wyoming for some reason. And I want to say, 
you're either at a lodge or a motel and you got your butt pushed out and you're leaning over a banister up on an upper deck. I thought looking out like over a, either a parking lot or a field. <laughs> and I, and it was like, I, I don't know if you had Billy Bob teeth in, I don't know what you're doing, but you were kind of doing the, the redneck. And I think you might've just been in some tidy whities and you, do you remember this scene at all? I th- yeah, I think so. That was probably, probably, um, Colorado, I think is where that was. Is it one of the first ones that, how did the, how did you, did you transition from cameraman to camera personality before the bone collector days? Did Realtree, would Bill be like, Hey, get a tag and we're going to film you now kind of deal once he would, once he no. was secure? No, not too much. You know, I, uh, mostly did my stuff, you know, behind the scenes with Michael. So, you know, he would hunt and then the guest of his would hunt and then I would be the cameraman for the guest. But then when we got back to the house, Steve Finch would be filming all the behind the scenes stuff, you know, that we, you know, and so then I'd get in, I'd get in front of the camera that way, you know, laughing and cutting up and doing funny stuff and, you know, just being ourselves, you know, and, uh, that's kind of where it all started. And then on a couple episodes, you know, Michael talked David Blanton and let me hunt. I think probably the first episode that I really got to hunt on was, um, we went to, uh, New, Me- New Mexico with uh, a guy named Perry Huntsaker. And, um, first we shot antelope. It was a two part series. First we shot antelope and then we went over an elk hunt and he and I both shot nice bulls. And that was kind of my first, um, my first hunts on camera, as far as being on the TV show, I had done a few hunts on my own that I videoed and, they put them on monster bucks and a couple other videos. Um, but as far as getting on the camera, you know, getting in front of the camera for the TV show, that was, that was about the first of it. And I'd say that was probably in about, Oh shoot, man. I don't know. Probably 2002 or 2000, somewhere in there, you know, I'm not really sure about the dates, but. So I assume, I assume that when, when this Miriam hunt goes down with Waddell coming to hunt with you, you had already probably been around Michael being around Realtree and Bill, right? Had you already been friends with him at this point or kind of, no, that was my first one. That was the first trip. And Ever the crazy met him. part was, was, dude, no, but as soon as we met, I mean, you want to talk about freaking, we had a blast and we still do we still do to this day. Um, that very first hunt though was crazy. We, he got there in the evening and you know, we met and messed around a little bit. And then, uh, at Jeff and Deb's house where they used to keep their hunters. They have a big, nice lodge now, but back in the day, it was just a little house in town in Sundance. And the basement was kind of made into a place for the hunters. And there was two or three bedrooms down there. And the one big bedroom had five or six single beds in it, no windows, cinder block, super dark and cold in there, you know, great for, great for sleeping and napping. And we woke up that first morning and I sang some goofy song in the dark and what else started laughing. And then it was just, on man we had a freaking blast (laughs) (laughs) and we i mean even to this day we get together and it's just you know just a couple of idiots we just have so much fun and uh, to be honest with you and this is this is honestly got truth and he'll agree with this the only the only argument that he and i ever get in is during scheduling for hunts because i want to be everywhere and hunt everything and he's like you can't do it all you know he just gets pissed at me because i want to be hunting all the time you know yeah so (laughs) but that's it it's evident that y'all are like you know just best friends and then you and then at the same time t-bone is coming up with with kind of the behind the scenes jeff foxworthy the the t-bone character through some of the real tree tv shows and then he's a part of road trips is that correct yeah t-bone had a part in road trips too and um 
you know, T-Bone's background is uh, competitive archery. And so he had, um, when he got out of high school, he had a really special talent and his, his family and friends all really pushed him to uh, pursue his talent. And so he just wasn't sure about it. He didn't have a lot of confidence. So he moved out to California and he actually became a Chippendales dancer. And, uh, you know, it was just one of those deals. He was doing a new, new move one night on stage, blew a knee out. And, uh, you know, then that's how he got into archery. So, but, uh, <laughs> are you being T-bone serious? Is, no, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm supposed to sit here and go, yeah, that sounds realistic. <laughs> So the special, the special talent coming out of high school was Patrick Swayze dancing. Right. You don't ever see too many Chippendales dancers with T-Bone's physique. So no, I'm kidding. uh, um, uh, Let me ask you this about T-Bone. How thick is his skin? Because it seems like there's a lot of those kind of jokes thrown around by Michael on the show. Um, Little, like little jabs about the, the, the diet or the extra play, you know, stuff like that. And then when we were in Nashville, uh, we were in Nashville, uh, Waddell took another jab at him and the friendship's awesome. Right. But when you, when you, 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 you you preface this by saying come out of high school, he didn't have a lot of confidence. Does he now to where he can take that or is it only allowed by Nick and Waddell? Well, yeah, you know, you know how you have brothers, right? Oh yeah. At times, at times you hate your brother and you want to just kick the living crap out of him. But anybody touches your brother, you know, it's on. Yep. I don't fly. And I got three brothers and that's how we were. You know, we always brawled and, you know, we had our differences, but you lay a hand on my brother, you got big, you got problems, you know? So, so, uh, T-Bone can give it out too. Trust me. But, he can. You know, that's what T-Bone's known for. You know, T-Bone's a great big guy and, uh, he's kind of, he's, he's, he, that, that's what T-Bone is, you know? And we don't, we don't, uh, we, ri- we all rib each other. Yeah. We ride T-Bone a little bit hard. Um, but you know, it's just part of our friendship and, and, uh, we've laid off him a little bit, you know, over the years, but one thing you won't ever hear me, I don't ever, I don't ever tell T-Bone, I don't ever say anything like mean, like, you know, you're a fat ass or, you know, right. You know, stuff like that. I'll just, I, I, whenever I say something, it's, you know, eat Cheetos or, drink a gallon of Dr. Pepper with it or whatever, you know, I love a guy to death and yeah, I probably do ride him a little bit hard. I probably do. But, um, if T-Bone were to say to me, Hey, I don't want you doing that anymore. I wouldn't do it. That's you what know, I'm going with. And I understand, I understand the joke and everything. I was just wondering like yeah. the competitiveness between you guys. Um, it's just like, there's never, there's never been like a sign of ego with you guys, meaning that, you know, Waddell had his personality coming up and then you and T-Bone came in to the real tree family. And then there's this opportunity for this brotherhood of the bone collector. And you guys, you guys have obviously taken it to limits that even surprised you, according to T-Bone and Michael, when I've talked to them is like, you know, we thought we'd get one season under our belt and we were prepared to go back to our day job. Right. But obviously that didn't happen, but I've never kind of seen a, You guys are competitive, and I am going to get into the competition part of it, but the ego part of it has always been kept in check to where you guys seem to know your roles. 
you guys, there's nobody that's bigger than the other person on the show, even though Michael's signature is on it. And you guys have right. always been that support system, but, but celebrities in your own way. And I know that that's a word that we shouldn't even use because it probably wears you out to hear that, but you are very recognized in the sport. You do sign a lot of autographs. You sign a lot of hats. You take a lot of pictures and you're just this normal dude that was a turkey guide and, and cutting people's hair. And is, has it been when you, is it been a hard transition? Cause I can imagine for somebody like a T bone that didn't have that confidence like you said coming out of high school and maybe wasn't the most athletic guy or been and i'm just assuming right and you look like more of an athlete you got the real good looking kind of you're in shape and you got you're a good looking guy i was just wondering if it ever did bug anybody you know like a t-bone or but it seems like you guys have just gelled into this unit that t-bone is hilarious his personality he could be a script writer in hollywood and comedies because he's so drip oh, yeah. he's so witty and clever i just i just have never really seen you or t-bone like be kind of a competitive force with each other to like, go after waddell's job or go out on your own and launch your own career because that's always a possibility in this too and right. it's it's surprising to and where i'm going that's long-winded to get to this and then i'll let you talk nick i yeah. apologize is i know when you have as much success as you have had together, it's not very often that that stays together without seeing somebody jump ship and go and think the grass is greener on the other side. And now you got Nick Hoffman. I mean, Nick Hoffman, you have Nick Muntz, uh, big game show over here and you got T-Bone Turner's archery, big game show over here. It's never happened. Yeah. It's, it's been, it's been going on 13 years of knowing your role and loving each other. Even though I know there is some competitiveness there, which I wanted to get into that that archery shoot that that i saw you compete in in georgia a couple of years ago at the edge launch where you mopped up everybody on that 3d target shoot and that's that's t-bone's forte that's his forte and now all of a sudden here's here's nick munt coming into the game and smoking him in georgia his home state in a 3d tournament so i'm like damn man these guys really go after it. but anyway you kind of see what i'm saying there like you guys there's like no there's no chance of that ever happening right no you know um as far as T-Bone's concerned, T-Bone is one of the best guys you could ever meet and be around. I mean, he's up-tempo, he's fun, he's um, he's not one of those guys that's going to, you know, piss and moan around if something's not going right. He's he's always on as far as his attitude. I mean, great attitude. And 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 what I what I when I was talking about coming out of high school with no confidence, that was a total joke. T-Bone T-Bone's loaded with confidence. You won't find anybody more confident than T-Bone. He can get in front of a crowd. He can talk and talk and talk. Um, he can introduce himself to anybody. I mean, T-Bone is a professional. And really, when it comes to traveling together and doing appearances and doing shows, I mean, we always have fun. And we really don't have any com competition between the three of us. We're all happy if one of us kills a, you know, a good animal or um, anything in business. I mean, we're you know, we're very supportive of each other and, um, it's pretty rare. And, you know, as far as me, you know, going to do something on my own, um, I just really like what we've got going here. You know, we've got a great team. Um, we've got a small team, you know, that work at our office. And so everybody's real tight knit. We don't have this huge giant company. Um, but when you work with guys like T-Bone or Michael that are just up tempo and, you know, never anything negative, it makes it really easy. And, um, I just feel like our personalities gel. Each one of us kind of has our own little thing that we do. And, um, you know, it's just been nothing but good. I, you know, I can't even think of anything bad. It's very rare though. Nick, it's, it's very rare in my opinion to see 
now I'm not saying that there's not other TV shows where there's personalities that are all individuals and then they come together and one guy might be filming in Iowa and a big buck up there where one guy's down in South Texas or something. And then the footage all comes together and you make an episode out of it and you have some transitional interview scenes. And But this is different because, and I'm being for real when I say this, because I'm in the game and I know how hard the game is and I know how hard it is to stay creative and to stay innovative and to 13 years of the same three dudes shooting the same animals with the same logo and the same name and to not ever have arguments and to get that, see that success. It is very, very rare. And it's very more rare because in my opinion, you guys have all became kind of rock stars in the industry that have never let that get to you to where the lines follow you. The lines build up at your appearances. You guys are famous in the industry. Now, whether or not that's a little presumptuous of saying the word famous, I, I, I know it's the truth because I see it with my own eyes. And I know that there's something different between the bone collector model and the, and the three hosts and the three brothers that do it together. And then you take other shows. Some of them are, are husband and wife. Some of them are buddies like the bone collector. Some of them are individuals. I don't know of another show that has the success of this and the run of this with three all-stars that kept it together when all of them could disperse and have the ability to go get their own partners, their own sponsors, their own hunts lined up, their own camera crew working for them and build something on their own. That to me is the rarest part because the bone collector show and brand is not just your normal run of the mill every day, three guys putting footage in. It's a brand. It's a cohesiveness of brotherhood that you guys are rock stars in the industry. Now it's no doubt Michael Waddell is was a bona fide rock star when it came to hunting success. You saw it with your own eyes. It probably blew your mind at times, right? Well, you, you know, I mean, you know, there's 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 some definitely some other icons in the industry, but when it comes to straight up fanfare, um, you know, walking the walk and you see what you get. I mean, Michael Waddell is the man, and I will definitely you know, be more than happy to tell you, I've been riding his coattails, coattails for 13 years. I mean, I give him all the props, you know, obviously it started with Realtree, Bill and David gave me an opportunity and, um, you know, I'm always grateful for them. And, you know, I've, I've, I bleed Realtree. That's all there is to it. Um, but when it comes to just being an icon of hunting and somebody who pushes the needle and, um, you know, it's not a selfish thing for Michael. For him, it's wanting to get as many people involved in hunting and keep this tradition alive. And he is grounded when it comes to that, man. I mean, you know, a lot of these people are me, 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 look at me, look at me, look at me. He is definitely the guy that's out there saying, hey, guys, let's get more people in the field. Let's sell, let's sell hunting licenses. Who cares if it's big or small or if you're fat or skinny or white or black or whatever, you know, hunting's for everybody. Um, you know, it's a fun, it's a fun pastime. And a lot of people take it, you know, too serious. I'm a serious hunter, but when it boils down to it, you know, we gotta, we gotta get as many people involved in this deal as we can. And so when it comes to Michael, I mean, that has been his focus from the beginning, you know, a lot of, a lot of people are doing their shows and doing the things they do in the industry to, um, to impress other people in the industry. Those aren't the, those aren't the people that we're after. We're after the consumer. We're, we're after the people that support hunting, support our brand and, and, make hunting what it is for everybody. Now, a lot of people have been spoiled on some of the animals, including us, you know, we're lucky. We get to go to great places and shoot great animals and 
hunt super farms, but there's a lot of guys that hunt public land and have never hunted anything but public land. And those people are important. You know, they're buying guns, they're buying boats, they're buying boots, they're buying, you know, banded clothing and whatever. But one of the things about Michael is he has always stayed grounded. He's been true to his roots and he has never, ever wavered on that. And you will not find anybody that works harder for the consumer and, and normal people of the world that are hunters. So, you know, that's, that's just kind of how he's been. And, and thanks to him, I've been able to come along for this ride for all these years. And, you know, he's been just nothing but, but generous, um, a great boss, first of all, um, a great friend, second of all, and then third of all, just somebody who really, really is for hunting as a whole and not just me, 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 you know? Yeah. I think, I think that you could come, you could come off if you were Michael Waddell or Nick Bunt and, um, looking from the outside in, well, who couldn't kill an animal on that ranch? Who couldn't kill an animal on that farm? You guys are, I mean, you guys are hunting the cream of the crop and this is the way that I look at it. And I hope that people can understand that when you were a barber and you were a guide, you were, you were a hunter doing the same thing and applying your set of skills. You have a specific skill set that has allowed you to accumulate the amount of bone, the amount of memories, the mounts, the taxidermy, the stories, the camp life. That's a skill set that Nick Munt has. Now, looking from the outside in, it's easy to throw rocks at that, you know, things that shine and go, well, if I was there, I could do that too. And that's not true. And that's the thing about the statement that you said of your guys' mission or, or your thought process is, hey, you guys are in the truck with us. You guys are part of this brotherhood. That has inspired the foul life to do what we do. The, if it wasn't for Bone Collector and what Waddell's ideologies were, there would be no foul life. There would I would not be in the TV game. I would not be driven to to get that message out there. Now, I don't, I don't get... Um, I don't want to be Michael Waddell. I don't want to be Nick Munt, but I do like the fact that you guys have had that voice. And my, my whole point in that, Nick, is that you guys could very easily go and film on public property if you, if you had to. But one, there's a lot of things that you have to look at of filming on WMAs and filming on public property in different states. When you're on private property, it gives you the ability to develop a story and the sense of the hunt. And that's what you're giving that viewer. And you're giving them inspiration to go get in their truck and become a better bow shot, a better archer, a better stalker, a better scouter, a better cooker, a better barbecue, or a better husband, a better friend, somebody that knows how to cut up and have fun, doesn't have to curse to and be all rowdy and drunk and all of that stuff all over the place you guys have done it right and that's the that's the important part of the brotherhood to me is that yeah you guys get to hunt the finest places in the world including indian reservations and africa and canada and waddell's down in cabo while you guys are up doing your thing and it's a great life but the work ethic that went into achieving that is what people have to understand. If you want to get there and you get an opportunity presented to you, like you did by you being a good person and cutting hair the right way and having good conversation and showing good animals and then having that opportunity to show some video, the door's open. And when the door's open, you didn't like kick them in and go, Nick Munt, Nick Munt is here. And I'm here. To, I'm here to kick ass and take names. You said, this is what I can do. This is my skill set. Then Blanton sees it and Blanton goes to Bill Jordan. Bill Jordan goes, heck yes. And you did it right. So if everybody took it, that is the example of, hey, when the opportunity presents itself, don't worry about if Nick Munt gets to hunt private property now or that him and Michael Waddell get to travel to go do this. They're doing this sport and this lifestyle and this culture of the American hunter justice by showing this lifestyle can be so rewarding from just normal dudes that grew up in booger bottom georgia 
another yep. Georgian and T-Bone. And then it, and then you're just a, a guy from the Midwest, upper Midwest, that is a completely different character than somebody in the South. And you guys all jailed and you're able to tell that story. That's the way that I look at it. And that I think that that's a motivating factor that, um, you know, my line of questioning can be different is that I just kind of see where the motivation is. Like, are you sure, Nick Month, that you've never had the 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 thought process of going to your wife and going, you know what? I am awesome at this. You know, like the Rodney Carrington, you know, you know, the Rodney Carrington skit when he, when he starts to be a boxer and he's like, I think I can whip somebody's ass. And his wife's like, you're going to get your ass whipped is what you're going to do. Kind of attitude. Yeah. Right. But he's like, yeah. I can box. I'm good. I can hit this. Air. But anyway, do you, has it ever happened? Nick, have you ever woke up and said, you know what? I got all this. I got all this notoriety now. I'm a, I'm, I'm big now. I, I can go and do this on my own. Have you ever even thought one time to that you could go do this on your own or been tempted? Has there ever been temptation for Nick Munt to leave Bone Collector? Well, you know, I've I've been offered to do a few things here and there, and I just it just never really made much sense. I mean, I don't know. I just think the team that we have, you know, I'm I'm a loyal guy. You know, I've been with the same basically three companies for the last. 25 years, seven J outfitters. I still, I'm still loyal to them, still work with them, still hunt there, uh, real tree and bone collector. And so I just have never, you know, I've thought about it a few times, but if I did go do something on my own, I would still do bone collector, you know, but I'm, I'm not, that's not what I'm looking for. You know, I'm, I'm content with what we're doing here. I think we've made a, a great impact. I think, um, our brand is strong and you know, the guys that I work with are great. And, um, I get to live the, the kind of lifestyle that I want to live. I get to go hunting for a living and um, I just really enjoy it. And, you know, sometimes it gets discouraging when you post a picture and people say, oh, well, you should, you know, if, you, if you're such a badass hunter, why don't you come to Pennsylvania and try to shoot a deer like that? Well, yeah, I probably can't go to Pennsylvania and shoot a 160 because there's not many of them running, running around there. But I always feel like if I do come up there to hunt, I'm going to have a good chance to shoot the biggest deer that's in the woods of wherever I'm hunting, whether he's a, a three by three or a one twenty. you know, that, that doesn't matter to me. Um, people always kind of give you crap about, um, you know, oh, you just hunt the best deer farms and the best places to hunt. Well, the truth of the matter is, is all the biggest deer, you know, I, um, this, this deer that's on the wall back here is a 226 inch buck that I shot on public land in Arizona. My two biggest elk that I've ever killed came from public land. I, um, my, my biggest moose that I've ever shot, I shot on public land in Alaska this year. He's going to end up being, I think, right around like number nine or 10 all time, Pope and Young. So it's not, it, it doesn't have anything to do with, you know, I just love hunting. And when I was growing up, animals to me, you know, they've just been my whole life. I love animals. I'm a animal, animal behaviorist. I study their, study their patterns and their habits. And when it comes to like equipment, T-Bone's, T-Bone's the bow guy. He sets up all my equipment, sets up all my bows. And I'm just not a big technical archery equipment guy. You know, I take T-Bone's advice. He sets me up. I can shoot well, but I'm more into the animals, you know? And so when people say, you know, only, only way you can kill a deer is if you hunt, you know, some good farm in Iowa or Kansas or whatever. Yeah, we do hunt good places, but I, I, it took me 20 some years to get to this point where I can hunt some of those places. And, um, I just feel like I can go to any place. And if there's, you know, I feel like I can study the study, the lay of the land and get it done there. You know, it's not just, everything's not just in a can and tie it up to a tree for you. You know, that, that kind of stuff kind of 
hurts sometimes when you hear that because I feel like I am a, a pretty good hunter and I've honed my skills over the years. But you're um, a better, but you're a better guy, and I hope that people would hear a conversation like this and hear the words come out of somebody like a, a celebrity hunter, quote unquote, Nick Month, that it does hurt sometimes because you're just a dude that that has fun in camp and you respect this, you respect the resource, you understand the behaviors and the natural instincts of the wild animal. You've honed your skills. You're no better than anybody else. And you've never said that. So to have the success and to post it is more of a guys, we can, we're in this together. We can do this. If you apply your skill set, you can do this because when I watch Phil Robertson and the duck commanders hunt back on duck commander one DVD, I never thought that I would, be in a duck blind with Phil Robertson and get to hunt ducks with Phil Robertson and Willie and Jason, those guys. And then when I did, I was like, man, they're just nice guys that love to duck hunt. There's nothing special about them. They're not, there's not doing. And that's the thing is that if somebody came to camp and sat around a fire with you and Waddell and T-Bone and you had the guitar and Waddell had a tambourine and T-Bone had his Billy Bob teeth in, it would be the most fun. Like you're just with your buddies cutting up and that's what they need to take out of that is yes, the success is there, but there's also a lot of failures, which you never, that you always turn into success. And that's the story I wish people would take before they hit that send button to degrade Nick Munt. Think about what you're doing. You're going to, you're hurting the, the man's desire, not that they're going to do this to you personal, but you're potentially hurting the man's desire to keep putting himself out there to promote this lifestyle that is so important to be promoted in the right light. And that's what Nick Munt and the bone collector team do. So before you hit that send button on a keyboard muscle comment that nobody cares that Nick Munt can't kill a big deer in Pennsylvania, which I would put my money on that you could, you could probably walk there from where you're at right now and have one down by tomorrow evening at sunset. And that's just take more out of it than just, oh, Nick killed another big, Nick's a freaking badass hunter. That's why he kills big stuff. That's, there's the difference in that. And yes, he has developed a lifestyle that he is allotted to do that. So instead of hitting that send button, let's work a little bit harder to wait and maybe get some advice from Nick to where maybe you can get there someday because there's not a better lifestyle out there than what Nick's living if you love to hunt. So don't hate on it, you know, just enjoy it. That's right. And and that's, and that's kind of, you know, you get hate from people that don't get to go hunting in other places. Well, you know, I, I just think everybody, if you've, if you come from a place that, you know, doesn't have a lot of big deer and you want to try to shoot a big white tail, um, save up for two, three years and, and, and go and experience something different. I mean, anybody can do it. You know, some of the, some of the guys that you see that are coming on post and, oh yeah, if I hunted here or there, I'd do this or that too. Well, everybody can do it. Just it's just where you put your priorities. You know, I see this guy; he's driving a new seventy thousand dollars pickup, but yet he doesn't want to spend the money to go to Kansas to try to shoot a big whitetail. Because when you go there, if you've if you've grown up in the southeast or northeast, where you know maybe the biggest buck you're ever going to kill or, or have ever seen in your life is a one thirty, one thirty five buck. You see three of those a day in Kansas. They might not be right underneath your tree, but put yourself in the position to go and and get that done. And you know, I, I just love hunting so much. I started doing this because I love to hunt. It doesn't have anything to do with being famous or signing a hat or, you know, I just love hunting, man. I love it. And what's the feeling I that goes, what's enough. the feeling that goes through your body, Nick Munt, when you do see that though? What, what, what does it make you feel like? And I know that the easy answer is, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's no big deal. You know, I'm just a dude. I'm just a barber that has the ability. I, 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 I have a voice, you know, I was given a platform and now, it's not even true because a lot of people have had that platform and not everybody turns it into what you guys have. So 
What is it? What's the first thought that goes to your head if I ask you, how does it feel to see all those people in line that want their picture with you? They want you to sign their antlers, their sheds. I've seen people bring in everything from a grunt, a grunt call to a, a cow, you know, a cow call to a set of sheds to their big buck and have you guys sign yep. it and take a picture with that is crazy. You guys are freaking deer hunters, man. You guys are not yeah. brain surgeons. You're not fighter pilots. You're not, you're not Axel Rose. You're not famous. And then you go yep. and see you and you're like, Dude, this is the real deal. This is different. This is a different thing. These they're being sought out to get their autograph because they're doing things right. What is how does it make you feel? And don't tell me the normal everyday answer. Well, ah, it's not that big deal because it's a big deal, Nick. Well, I, I feel lucky as heck. And to be honest with you, you know, I see I've been to different, you know, meet and greets with with um so-called, you know, famous people and they'll stand in line for an hour and a half. And when that hour and a half is done, they'll leave 150, 200 people standing there and walk out. And, you know, we're, we just seriously feel super blessed to get to do this. And so um, if you've ever seen us at any of those shows, I mean, we stand there till the last single person comes through there because we do feel blessed to, to do this. And, um, you know, it's just it's so lucky. I mean, how can you how can you turn people down that want to come and, and say hi and talk about what you love hunting, you know, and um for me, it's just a super humbling experience and just feel so blessed to get to do it. I mean, it's not, not everybody gets this, you know, there's guys that have television shows and they're on TV, but they don't have, you know, that's my a point. brand. And that's my point and to so see it happening. It blows, it blows, it's a lucky thing. It blows my mind, dude. Like I look at it and I'm like, those guys are so down to earth and look at what, and what's the coolest part about it month is that here we are 13, 14 years into Bone Collector. You're in your 40s. Michael Waddell's in his 40s. T-Bone's 50 now. And when you go to these shows, there's six-year-olds waiting to get their picture with you. Ten-year-old girls. Ten-year-old yeah. girls with their first fork and horn, their first four-point. I think a Southerner would call it a four-point, whatever. Out here west, it's a fork and horn. It's, it's you know, Southerners call their stuff different. What is a two-point called? Is that a four-point in Whitetail World? Yeah, that's a four-point. I grew up in western South Dakota, you know, and where I'm from is basically, it's the west. You know, we got bighorn sheep, mountain goats, elk, mule deer, whitetails. So, so that's a fork and when horn? When I grew up, it, it, it was a two, it was a. Uh, a two by two, you know, two by two. That's what I call it. Yeah. Two by or two. Four corn. So you got these new generations and this has happened every year where these new generations keep getting in the bone collector line. I've seen it firsthand. Now, Shockey, great voice, has people interested in getting his autograph all the time. I understand it. Absolutely. But the, the energy at this bone collector booth, and I've watched it um, exclusively the last, I'd say, I'd say since 2009, 2010 at NWTF and watch the booth grow watch the appearances grow. Waddell's name comes over. Waddell and Nick are signing here. Go meet them. Um, it just floors me that it truly is all day, every day of these shows of nonstop celebrity. It, it's, it doesn't happen to most hunters. There are a few select few in our industry that get to experience this in a way to where it's consistent being sought out and it's it's never got to you guys and it's the coolest thing that you guys are able to take it shoulder it with the responsibility and do it ethically right you guys are never in trouble and you get to give back and have this voice of yep. this is what we get to do we're, we're, we're going to stand here until the end of the day and tell our hunting stories and listen more importantly listen to your hunting stories and there's a lot of them and sometimes you're just like oh man if i hear about another deer or something but you guys do it well just we're just like anybody else man we're just you know, 
we love hunting. We love people. And, and, uh, you know, the platform that we've been given is, it's just so big, you know, it's just a huge deal. And like I said, man, I just feel humbled to get to do this. And I'm thankful to Michael for, you know, seeing something in me that he wanted to bring on board and, and help promote hunting. And that's, you know, what it, that's in the end, that's what it's all about for us. And, um, you know, hopefully that never changes and hopefully we, we can continue on this platform. And, um, you know, I, the shame about it to me is that, uh, a lot of people don't get to see our actual show because they don't get the outdoor channel. And, um, you know, it's just been so much fun. Every one of our shows is fun and we're laughing and having a good time and it's the real thing, you know, it's non-scripted and I don't know, man. It's just been, it's just been so fun. It's gone by so fast like that, like 13 years I've gone by so fast. It's just been incredible. It's, it, so. it's almost, it's, it's almost scary, isn't it? When you look at it, like, oh, cause we, we, we started the foul life and banded in 2008 and here we are 12 years later. And I'm, I'm like literally like a kid in a candy store, hoping that this virus surpasses and I've had to cancel some Turkey hunts, but getting ready for this fall, it's like, we just made these memories. They're getting ready to go to air third and fourth quarter. And I don't even get the chance to sit down and enjoy those. And I'm already on to the next and it's time to pump the brakes and go, look at this library, look at this portfolio that we've been able to build to show the American waterfowler. And my goal always was I, I don't have, you know, 13 to 14 million deer hunters that could be potential fans. Right. Not everybody duck hunts 2.5 million people at the most buy a duck stamp and go duck hunting for certain reasons, whether it's too expensive, whether the laws and how, you know, all of the different things like being able to recognize or make sure that you could, you know, tell the species of a duck and, and, and everything that goes into it. I don't know why it's never caught on like deer hunting, but it hasn't. And there's a lot that goes into that. And that's a totally, totally other rabbit hole to go down. But my goal, Nick Mont, was... What if we do show the culture that we get to live? What if we do show the processing and the butchering and the music and, 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 and uh, maybe it's a, a celebrity around campfire or it's a three-star admiral or it's a, a guy that was in special forces or it was this guy that, that works at Ronald McDonald House and loves to hunt and gives back through, through that. So I really was driven to try to use the foul life and banded to show these stories. And, and, and that's yeah. what you guys have been able to do to bring notoriety to different, whether it's, you know, this episode that you guys just aired with the tornado, right? I mean, I was just like, man, that right there, that entire episode in those interviews and in those headstones and that guy's Turkey harvest, that should have been freaking national news all day long of the human spirit and the way that hunting is therapeutic to the soul. And that is what the foul life, what I wanted it to become was like, man, thank you for what you do for us. Here's what we can do back for you. I, I never got, I never went in the military. I've never served our country. I've never gone overseas. And I look at them and go, do you ever judge people that don't? And they're like, no, look at what you're giving back to us. Now you're a warrior for doing this. And that's their gratitude. And I, we could never have enough gratitude for them. And what that guy went through with that tornado, I was like, man, I'm so, I want to be able to tell stories like that. That was just so touching, yeah. right? That should be national yeah. news all day long of what you guys did with yeah. that guy. And, and just well, a, sh a really small percentage of the population will know that. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah like I said, the platform is, the platform is amazing. And what we do with it is, uh, you know, like I said, we try to sell licenses and get as many people involved as possible and let people know that, Hey, it's here for you too. You know, I mean, there's, there's, uh, there's some hunts that people th think that are out of their reach, but they're really not. I mean, 
you know, with a little, with, with a little savings and, and a little perseverance and some research, I mean, there's a lot of great, great things that people can do, but, uh, you know, like I said before, for us, it's just, it's just spreading the good word about hunting and getting as many people involved and doing what we can to, uh, promote the sport because, you know, when it comes to second amendment rights, being able to have guns and, and being able to pursue these animals, um, it's a big deal. And, and there are no better conservationists than hunters, you know, all these other PETA and all these people can, can say what they want, but nobody puts their money where their mouth is like hunters do. They're not out buying habitat. They're not, you know, uh, moving species around. They're not saving the sheep. They're not saving the moose. They're not saving caribou. They're not banding and, and moving waterfowl and all that kind of stuff. You know, hunters are, we're where it's at, man. We're the ones that are protecting these species. In fact, look at all the species that we're hunting. They're as many now as they've ever been. You know, if we're, if we're, if, if hunters were, um, you know, protecting and, and, uh, taking care of the California condor, they'd probably be all over the place. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Guaranteed they would be. That'd be crazy. It's, but it's, we're, you know, we're the, we're the, we're the greatest conservation group in the world and, and nobody can argue that they might want to, but people say, how is it good? How is it good to shoot an animal to, to conserve it? Look at, look at the species we're hunting. It tells the perfect tale. We're killing the biggest animals we've ever killed. World records are being broken every year. I mean, take a take a look at a guy like Doyle Moss. The guy has multiple world records. He's got multiple state records. He keeps breaking them every year. And, you know, he lives in nature, promotes the heck out of hunting. And nobody can argue with what hunters do for a living, you know. I mean, it's just Annie support Annie support Annie supports Fanaz. He supports the which is the which is the Absolutely. North American Wild Sheep Foundation. He supports RMEF, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. He supports yep. Mule Deer Foundation. He supports all yep. of these different conservation agencies and raises money through donating hunts, donating partial hunts, donating guide yep. services, outfitting services, um the animals that he consistently harvests in Utah and Nevada. Just an amazing career. My cousin Thomas Baker he's in he's in outfitting and and the ryan hatches and all of the guys that are out here i've grown up watching you know the 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 just the sweat and the sweat equity that's been put into habitat and guzzlers and the amount of desert sheep that are in the state of nevada now because of nevada bighorns unlimited which i'm sure you've heard of and the 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 amount of you know just I guess it's a lot of passion when you go and you sit around these guys and they're like, well, yeah, we, we, we took a sheep out of the herd last year. We killed a 167 Ram up in the, up in the cellulites, but here's what we did. Here's what people don't know. Here's how many guzzlers went in. Here's how many chucker and here's how many different forms of wildlife from rats to mice, to antelope, to mule deer, to coyotes, to cougars, to, to foxes, to bobcats. You keep naming it of all of these species that generate benefit off of the man of uh, the heart of a hunter that goes up on a yep. Saturday after he just worked a 60 hour week in the construction field. Now he's traveling up these dirt roads and proud to do it with a guzzler and he implements the guzzler and builds it up there. And the next thing you know, yeah. they're getting trail camera pictures of sheep benefiting off of this, of not being right. you know dehydrated and dying from dehydration because they have water sources now. So right. I look at it like, yeah, we take some out of the ecosystem, but if we didn't, you understand what would happen if we didn't take that one out of the ecosystem every time or control the oh, herd. There, that, there's just, yeah. that, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing to know that, that what a guy like Doyle Moss has done for conservation and hunting yeah. and he gets a bad oh, rap. He gets a bad rap sometimes because he's always killing big stuff. Well, that's cause he's good and at what he does. Jealousy. It's jealousy. It's jealousy. It's cause he's it freaking good at what he does. 
you're dang right. He's a bit, one of the best ever to walk ever. the planet. I mean, the guy's a stud. But you take guys like um, Chad Woodruff um, from Mossback, Arizona, and Tory Brock. You know, these two guys are mule deer freaks. They're up there in the middle of damn nowhere um, up there on the strip. And they're working with the game wardens and the biologists. They're up there all summer long and pounding heat. And they're doing everything they can for the deer up there. They're, like you said, they're putting in new water sources. They're working hard. They're putting out mineral. They're doing this. They're doing that. I mean, they've made that place basically help to make it what it is as far as, you know, helping animals live in tough times. And, you know, you just don't, you just don't hear about that from um, animal activist groups. You know, they're just, no. you just don't, there's no credit. All they can and, think about is the death of an animal and it's just not right. You know? And hopefully other hunters that are the guys that we started this conversation a few minutes ago about, you know, the public land guys, the guys that are going and, 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 and getting their applications and looking so forward to that and putting in for tags and drawing a group tag or a party tag with your dad and your brothers or your friends and you're going out. I hope that they look at somebody like a Doyle Moss how much he's benefiting the herds that they're getting to hunt because there's a lot of big animals that are being harvested and, and and a lot of a lot of new animals that are being put back in you know that that bloodline and that species is being more and more secured by the efforts of people like Doyle Moss and his guides yep. that are up doing this throughout the year so Utah and Nevada public land hunters and just regular nine to five Joe Bobs that love to hunt that all of us are in reality is yep. they're benefiting off of people's of people's sweat equity and their elbow grease and their intelligence of, and their ability to go up and do that or their desire to, because not everybody wants to go up on a 90 degree August day and work on a guzzler. All they see is yeah. the big picture of being up there in November and being able to have a chance to kill a 220 mule deer in the rut. Well, that doesn't yep. happen without all of this going on. There's a yeah. reason it keeps evolved. So I, I, I see, I think it's a, I think that before you hit that send button on these on these on these hate mails or these judgment emails or these the ability to get to Nick Munt or Michael Waddell or Doyle Moss on social media, before you send your you know educate yourself on what they really do or where they come from because I don't I don't ever want to look at somebody or be judged of like. Oh, he just bought, I mean, I've heard it all. I bought my way into the industry. My dad died and left me this huge inheritance. And I want to look at him and go, my dad was a union plumber. He made $75,000 a year if he wasn't laid off and be like 50 grand <laughs> if the snow came and the job shut down. Like inheritance, yeah. are you serious? Inherit, inherited what? I've never, I don't even know what an inheritance means. So me you hear that stuff and it's like, no, I just love, I, lo I love to work. My dad always said you're put on this earth to work. I love to work. And so yeah. I just wish that people would take the time to learn a story. Like you bring up Doyle, you live out here and you hear the stuff that's said about him. And I'm like, oh, Dude, do, you guys have, do you guys have, you, do you ever just stop to pump the brakes to understand how good he is at what he does? You would die oh, yeah. to be in his shoes, man. Just There's to see, just to see the know? animals he's seen on a normal Saturday through his, uh, through his glass. I, it, most big game hunters would die just to see that. So stop or, it. Or Chad, they would look over the same country and never see it laying there in the bushes. hundred oh, percent. I mean, 100%. that's, that's, but to me, that's, you know, 80, 90% of it is being able to sit in one spot for hours and hours and hours, throw your glass on the hillside, and all you see is a little piece of horn or a tiny bit of the ear sticking out or a throat patch or the, the white on the face of a buck sticking through the cedars. I mean, there's a lot more to it. Some, some guys, some people just don't have it. Some hey, people I, do I just, not have it. I just did a call. I you just can did throw a call. Into, you can throw them into, get them the best tag put them in the best area and they still aren't going to get it done where you got no. guys that are very proficient at what they do. And 
people hate him for it, I guess. You know? Oh, man, you're baiting. Oh, man, you had him tied to a fence. Oh, man, you got that out of a high <laughs> fence. I'm like, I'm like, dude, now look, my cousin, my cousin's a go-getter, and he's been, he's been in it, and he's had some problems. But if you ever had to pa- – uh, are you drinking coffee out of a Pendleton whiskey cup? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it, dude. <laughs> it's half and half. Uh, so I want to remind everybody why Nick drinks his coffee that you're seeing on the video that this episode is still brought to you by Jack Daniels. Um, oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Don't I'll, matter. I'll do it. It's, <laughs> um, I had a, I had a, a talk with my, our optics partners, Vortex. I know that you guys are with another one, which is fine. You know, everybody, they're each their own and everybody's happy. But we talked last week, I'm doing this essentials of duck hunting podcast series on our other podcast the foul life and i said i was the kid with add that dad would say get in the glass and i would go real quick all nope nothing here pops and then my dad would say sit your butt down and watch and then he would show me the importance of staying in the glass and what that Mm -hmm. means to a big game hunter of that ear twitch or that that mule deer staying so still that all of a sudden he might have just turned a little bit and that sun hits a horn or or a white patch on him or something where a good a good mule deer hunter lives with them knows what they're doing, knows their escape routes, their instincts like you do, uh, like you do in, on reading all these animals, natural, yep. the, uh, how they naturally live their lives. My dad and my cousin Thomas, who I keep talking about, it's amazing what they do with just a pair of binoculars. And if you can do that, that's a big win because not everybody's, saw, no, I can't do that. I can, I can look at one hillside, one hillside for five minutes and be over it where they're finding mm-hmm. big bucks consistently through there. And yeah. then the and then the ability to go out like a Todd Jassic. I don't know if you've ever heard that name in our state, which is like one of I my. I think so. He's a stud, but anyway, um, he killed his first Grand Slam of North American wild sheep at twelve years old, and he's killed four Grand Slams. Anyway, he's he's he comes from he comes from money. There's no doubt about that. But he's a great dude and a great voice for hunting, and he, his ability to go out. Have you ever heard the name Tony Grimmett for antelope? I think so. What the, is he, is he an I think he was at one time, but he has a video out there on how to field score where I'm going with this. Cause I'm long winded is how to field judge antelope because right. everybody thinks that it's an 80 inch head. When if that's a 69, that's a, well, why, why? Well, you got to do this and you got to be able to make sure that you can get close enough with your optics to be able to figure out, all right, if he's this long and I divide that by four, his circumference around the base, his prong is going to be this, his third measurement is going to be this, his tips are going to be this. Does he curl in? How, what's his with and when you start being able to do that on the fly now those guys that go out and pull that you know that 180 grain 270 bullet on the first buck they see and then they walk up and ground shrinkage happens and you're like well that ain't no that ain't no boone and crock at 82 inch 84 inch yeah, that's <laughs> and i'm like okay well there's a reason why todd jassick can consistently do it. it's not because he has the ability yes he has the ability to go scouting more than you because of his lifestyle but when he's scouting he's applying his skill set of saying that's not a 77 inch buck. That's a 71. That's not a nine. The guy's the guy had the state record at 94 and seven eighths or 95 and seven eighths for many years. He's killed three or four heads in the nineties, right? The guy knows how to kill big antelope. I go antelope hunting. I go antelope hunting in the same country, the same exact draws, the same exact tags. I know the mountain ranges, not as good as Todd, but pretty dang good with my brothers growing up here. Don't even see him. Don't even see him. Don't even see those big bucks. He's just good at it. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'm spent, but you know what the common denominator is? For. You know what the common denominator is, Mont? Is that he gets so many people saying the worst things about him and his family. And I'm like, 
are you kidding me? Like, have you ever sat down with Todd Jasic? That dude would do anything for you, man. He would take the shirt off of his back in a snowstorm if he saw you stuck out there. So stop, <laughs> stop the hate, man. Stop the violence against, <laughs> against good hunters. Stop it. You know, it's like quit hating on people because they're good at what they do. Cause there is it's a difference. Funny. And that's the whole thing I started this with is that the, the whole success of bone collector is different, man. What you guys are experiencing in life is so much different than what most TV show hosts experience. And if that, whether they want to admit it or not, cause I'm right in the thick of it and I've never seen anything like it. So I just, it's, it's, it's a cool thing. And it, and, the, and it's, it's awesome. My line of questioning was to see how you have shouldered it. You don't get jealous. You don't have an ego. You've stayed humble. You've stayed down to earth. You've stayed rooted. And that's why the success is there that you've never got bigger than your britches and you've stayed, you've stayed the course. And that's, that's, well, a, thanks, that's man. a success story, man. Yeah. You know, like I said, man, I just feel lucky to get to do it. And so, um, I don't think you'll ever see me going there. You know, it's just not, that's just not the way I am. And I'm not really wired like that. And it does hurt when people, you know, give you a bad rap and 99% of it's good. You know, 99% of people are very supportive and tell you congratulations. And, you know, I would never go on somebody else's page and post something negative. Like it's I would crazy. never do that. It's crazy. And I just don't understand that. And you know, a lot of times I want to comment back and I just don't because it's just not going to go anywhere, you know? So I just leave it. Um, usually the people that are, you know, making comments on the post or whatever, they take care of it, you know, and, and people will comment back at the person making the negative comment. But um, I just try to keep it positive, share my, my lifestyle with people. And I know I'm lucky. I know I am. I feel that every day. And so when I post a picture of an animal that I shot, it's not because I'm bragging because I just want to share it with people. And it, it was a great experience for me and, and what I live to do. You know, I, I literally live for this stuff. It's not just something I'm doing just so I can get on TV. I mean, I live for hunting. I love it. Well, the way that I, the way that I look at it is if somebody, a big thing that we talk about in our, in our sport, in our lifestyle which is, I don't know of a cooler way to live. I really don't. And I don't, I, mm -hmm. I always talk about people that golf and I always look at them and go, I don't understand why you golf. And I really do know why they do. Cause it's great. And I don't do it cause I suck, but I still think that duck camp is, <laughs> I still think that duck camp and hunting camp is the best place to really get to know somebody and to jive with somebody and to cut your teeth with somebody and to form a friendship and a brotherhood. I truly feel that in my heart that there's not a cooler way to live in the world. Now this is being judgmental or opinionated, which I've been accused of being opinionated, but I'm always, I'm always just stating what my opinion is. I don't tell people how right. to think. I'm simply saying right. that to to hone your skill sets like Nick Munt has and to be able to get that close to that big of a deer, that deer and that moose, mind you people, that deer and that moose and that elk are that big, big for what reason? They didn't come out of the womb like that. They have survived many a seasons to grow that mm -hmm. amount of inches of bone on their head. So to get in there on a deer or a moose or a caribou or it, whatever species you're hunting, elk, sheep, whatever it is, to trick those those, you know, those savvy animals that have been in the wild for that long, that's a skill set. Then to be able to process it, butcher it, show your passion for the art of it and the taxidermy and preserving those memories and those stories, eating that wild game and serving that bounty, which I know that you love wild gaming. There's not a cooler oh, way to man. live. You're living off the land. Yeah. 
You're living off the land, yeah. man. There's nothing cooler. Yep. And, and you're giving it to your kids. You're, 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 every day you walk into your wife, she, who, wait, you talk about out kicking your punk coverage. You're a good looking dude, man. But that's a whole other podcast too of how you landed her because <laughs> she's, she's like the, the prettiest girl in America. Congratulations. And she's a sweetheart. Um, yeah, man, that, that night is. on the bus with in Nashville a couple months ago was special, wasn't it? With, with yeah. Brent Cobb. That was, um, that was a blast. That whole event you put on was really cool, man. We're going to do it together that this was, year. I, t- I put the bug, I, I put the bug in Waddell's ear that I want to do bone collector foul life one for next year. I think it'd be killer. I think oh, it'd be man, awesome. That would be fun. But Heck, anyway, yeah, those skill sets stuff. are there and what a cool way to live life. So my whole thing is that 15 years ago, Nick Munt didn't have the ability to put that picture out there and say, Hey, look at what I do. He's never once said raw, raw, look what I do. He's saying this, and this is where I was going with this again, is that in this industry, the most important thing that we can do is try to develop a mentorship program to help people get started because you and I might take it for granted that because we grew up in it, we came out of the womb and being in the mountains right now, you have the ability to mentor somebody or at least give them the thought like, wow, I want to live that life. I want to live off the land. I want to learn how to be a better archer. I want to learn how to be a better stalker. I want to go live with the animals and catch fish and cook them on the creek bed and figure out how to do a shore lunch. Well, Nick Mutt knows how to do all that. You know why he knows how to do all that? Because he's taken the time and the passion to apply that and to learn it. He didn't just come and, and be able to get this good because he had a God-given talent. Maybe some of it was, but he worked hard. So right. now you have the voice of being able to say, look, if you need some advice, instead of shredding me for the amount of inches this horn is on the top of this deer's Head, just ask me and I'll be more than happy to help mentor you and be a, now you can't do it with everybody, but you can at least give messages out there to help. Right. Absolutely. Well, there's a, there's a couple of things. Um, number one, I think, I think there's two important things that we, we all need to do as people that are experienced hunters. Um, we need to number one, try to get somebody new involved every year in the outdoors. I mean, we need to get a new kid that's never been hunting before. Maybe a kid that comes from a single family home, or maybe it's even a lady that's never been hunting before, but wants to hunt. We need to, to, you know, involve them as much as we possibly can. And number two is become a member of some kind of conservation organization, whatever that is, whether it's Ducks Unlimited, uh, Mule Deer Foundation, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Safari Club, blah, 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 on and on and on. These uh, conservation organizations organizations are doing a number of different things, including sending money to Washington so that lobbyists can be working in Washington for us, fighting for our rights. We got a lot of high powered young attorneys that are there right now. They're bumping elbows with the senators and congressmen. They know the issues. They're passing on the issues to the people that don't know the issues, because let's face it, a lot of our congressmen and senators don't know what the people are thinking as far as in Wyoming and Utah and Nevada, as far as what's going on on public land, stuff like that. So these conservation organizations are funding the lobbyists, the attorneys that are that are working for us and for our Second Amendment rights. So two of those things, get somebody new involved in hunting and become a member of some kind of conservation organization. Freaking huge. Um, and it is our job. One of the toughest things there is to do is to come into um, an activity like hunting or shooting a bow it's a very intimidating thing to get into if you've never done it before to pick up a gun and shoot it for the first time or to go out turkey hunting and have never called a turkey, um, you know, to, to buy a new bow, get the right rest, get the right setup, get everything right. Just, just to have the confidence to go into an archery shop and ask somebody to help you. That's a tough for a man to pick up a bow 
and go into an archery shop and say, Hey, I don't know squat about archery. Can you help me get started? That's, those are tough things. And so there's an intimidation factor when it comes in to trying something new in the hunting, you know, in, in, in all aspects of hunting, whether it's, you know, I don't, I don't know hardly anything about waterfowl hunting. I've done a ton of it. You know, I feel like I could go out and set up decoys on the pond. My, my mother-in-law's got a big dam right here on the property and there's geese in it every day. Pretty sure I could go set up some decoys and get them killed because I just know enough about hunting. But if it comes to me driving to North Dakota and setting up a big uh, spread for snow geese, I'd probably be sitting there for a week and a half and wouldn't have one goose come to the, to the spread, you know? So there's that learning curve and it's an intimidating thing. So, you know, that, that's tough. And so as, as uh, people that are experienced, it's our job to mentor, like you said, people answer questions. Don't be afraid to put a question on a post and ask me a question about, you know, how to do this or how to do that. Or if you want to shoot a bighorn sheep someday, you know, um, I'm actually just starting a new application service and booking agency. Um, I don't have my site up yet. It's going to be called uh, the Munt Agency, um, NW Munt and Associates Adventure Agency is what it's going to be called. And so um, people will be able to, to contact me. I can help them get in for um, different tags throughout the West. So, you know, just little things like that. So how do I kill a big mule deer someday? Well, you got to get into the units that where the big ones live. Or if you want to kill a sheep, you know, you're not going to be able to afford a $60,000 sheep hunt. I can't. So I, you know, I got lucky a couple of years ago. I drew a tag in Idaho. Um, went in and shot a really nice ram. So there's a lot of things that can be held through questions. The intimidation factor is there, but ask questions and and help mentor somebody. You know that's that's super important to me. You know, Nick, how many? And you don't have to tell me the exact amount, but how many DMs do you probably get? I can't imagine Waddell's, but I know that you're right there with them. How many do you get a week if you had to average it? You know, I get quite a few, and and sadly enough, I don't answer all of them. Um, you can't, you can't keep up, I, right? Because I try not to just focus 24 hours a day on my Instagram because I can get caught up in it pretty heavy and then I don't get stuff taken care of that I'm supposed to, you know, it's pretty addictive, but, um, you know, I get, I get a lot, I get a lot and a I lot. get a lot of questions, you know, on, on Facebook and, um, and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I don't get them answered. I don't get them all answered. Um, I well, try to answer you quite can't. a few of them. You can't, but the point but, is, is the point is, is that you're a voice that has the ability to get it out there. So, you know, keep asking your questions. Don't take it as a, uh, a knock or an insult that you don't get an answer back because it, that is a full-time job. And I was trying to let these people know, like you will get inundated with them. Like it's amazing how many will come through because of the access or the uh, people's ability to get to you. And, and we all have it. I mean, if I wanted to send a private message to Lou Ferrigno right now, I could, I grew up watching the incredible Hulk and now I can just go, Hey, yeah. Lou, uh, we had this bicep workout come up. was wondering what you think of my pipes is the vascularity there. Yeah. He's probably not going to answer me back, <laughs> but I have the ability. So, so don't take it as a slight from guys like Nick, but just know that they're trying to get to him. Right. And that, that they, yeah. they're putting out enough good information out there for you to ingest and get your start. Because one of the questions, I get asked the most is I want to do what you do. How do I work in the industry? And I never know how to answer that. I never know. I tell them, 
I tell them networking, being able to talk, being clean cut, being ethical, being educated, get your education, learn how to juggle, learn how to network. Yeah, you can blow a good duck call, but a lot of people can. Yeah, you can kill big mule deer, but can right. you go and can you go and be a good voice and do that? Like it's up to you, um, like what how you want to get into this. There's cert, there's a lot of different ways to get into it, but there once is. you do get that opportunity of cutting a guy's hair and, and him seeing a picture and that turning into video being sought, you know looked at and then that turned into this with with david blanton who's been at real tree since the beginning in 1986 i believe um yeah when you get the opportunity do it think positive stay optimistic that it can happen but if, you, if you're not yeah. going to make your living in the hunting industry which it's very few and far between that make their yeah. living in the hunting industry you know doing it. it's but if you get it a is. chance you know take advantage of it we get we get that question all the time. You know, I want to do something in the hunting business, and so my advice is always, uh, you know, immerse yourself in the industry in in some capacity, whether that's working at a sporting goods store, going to archery shoots, um, trying to get on some pro staffs, um, you know, go to all the shows and and meet people and meet outfitters, become a guide. Um, yeah, to be a TV personality these days, it, it's tough just because it's so saturated. And, you know, now with the internet, anybody can have their own TV show on the internet. You may not make any money off of it, but you can have your own program. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's at anybody's fingertips if you want to do the work to make the production. Um, But I think the biggest thing is, uh, you know, and it's not just with this industry, it's with anything you do, you know, Um, over deliver, get your butt out of bed in the morning, do what you say you're going to do, be personable, be positive. You know, there's a lot of things that, that can be, that can, can be said for that. And whether you're driving a dump truck for the city or running a jackhammer, or you're trying to do a hunting show, being courteous and positive and, and being, um, somebody that over delivers is key to it all. You know, well, great. That's That's so, that was well said, like, perfect. Like exactly the business of the hunt is like exactly what you just said in a nutshell is if you practice those little things, do it. Think about how courteous a guy like Nick Munn is before you send that message. First of all, if you're going to send messages like that, the chances of you getting into it are slim and none, in my opinion. You can't have that attitude. That You cannot go into it with a competitive, you're better than anybody, or jealousy or envy or anything like that. Stay optimistic and keep a clear head approach about it. That if you want to get into it, do exactly what Nick Munn said. Be courteous over deliver shake hands understand networking understand the negotiation of a contract or an agreement that there is a business part of this but the more that you do those little things of being ethical being responsible being courteous 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 and understanding those little traits then you can come into a, a, a this thing is so driven by those little things that you just said it's amazing so yeah and 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 things don't happen overnight i mean you know, people, people kind of saw, you know, all of a sudden, you know, we had, for me anyway, Waddell, Waddell different, but, but during kind of the road trips days, you know, um, the persona was kind of building. And then all of a sudden people just saw me, boom, bone collector started. And it's like, they thought that I just out of the blue, just boom, I got a, I'm on a TV show, boy, he's, he's lucky. And I mean, I worked my ass off for almost no you didn't years no you not according to people that, you know, not according working, to people on the internet you didn't you know <laughs> so, do you remember my first I question friend do you remember my first question I about was it scripted friend. was this supposed to happen this if if you um 
I, I, I think the talk is awesome. I think what you've built is awesome. I know a lot of it had to do with being in the right place at the right time, but I will tell you this, Absolutely. I will tell you this, Nigma, that that happens a lot of, a lot of times in this world on a daily basis, people are there. They just don't know it, or they don't know how to recognize it, or they don't have the ability to, sh- to put themselves in the right spot once they're in that right position to open that door and to take the next step. And you did it, and you did it through humbleness. You did it with kindness. You've done it with sincerity. You always have I've always been very polite to everybody and always the first to say, hey, what's going on? And I think that all of that wrapped into you know, this message that now you have the ability and the platform to deliver. I want more of it the world of the hunter and the fisher and the conservationist and the archer and the rifleman and the muzzleloader and the slingshotter and the bobber fisherman and the fly fisherman. We all deserve to have people like you, or we should all be, we should all be more um, humbled that we have people like you and the Waddells and the T-Bones to guide, help guide hunters through this, to motivate them, to show them the right way to do things, to never forget about your roots, to always understand first and foremost, that we're going to have fun and the respect for the animal and that there isn't a such thing as just if we kill a 140 hey we're ha- we're as happy as when we got our when I got my 189 in Kansas it's all hunting absolutely absolutely man that's one of the things i love the most is you know after the kill um getting it in hanging it up spending time with it cutting it up taping it out you know i mean for me that's just i i love that part of it and the and the time spent after you know, I love to get my hands bloody. Um, it's just, a, to me, it's just, just the coolest part of it all. Once it's all done, you know, you get that heart pound in action, but then when you're done, you get to spend all the time getting it ready, prepared it for the freezer. And, um, you know, like I said before, it's just a, it's just a humble deal for me. And, and down in the barn, um, my, my, um, in-laws have a horse farm here in Minnesota and, uh, on the barn down there, there's a, there's a sign above the door that says, um, Basically, it says, um, for every door that opens for you, there's somebody opening that door on the other side. And I just think that's a key thing, because if it weren't for, number one, Bill and David at Realtree, I wouldn't be here. And if it weren't for Michael giving me these opportunities, I wouldn't be here either. So, you know, I just feel humble and blessed to get to be working with those guys. Um, They've opened a lot of doors for me and supported me. and. Um, you know, without any type of jealousy or, um, animosity, they don't want to hold me back. I mean, those guys have just been so key in the success of, of, of my career. And, um, I just know for sure without those guys, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. And, um, a lot of the blessings that I've, that I've had in this business are because of those guys. So, um, I just want everybody to know that, you know, I, I try to be as humble as possible. Um, there's nobody that I won't talk to at any kind of show or appearance or anything like that. And, um, I really do feel honored and blessed to get to do this stuff and like luckiest job in the world. It's very easy to see it, Nick. You do a great job of, of not being fake and you've always been real and it's easy to see. And I, and it's evident that a lot of people see it because of what you guys have become to the industry. And I'm, I think that 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 saying above the door on your mother-in-law's horse barn is is so key. And what you do, it reflects in what you do. It reflects in what Michael does. 
Michael is when on he's the first to tell you, man, if it wasn't for this guy, I wouldn't be to where I'm at. If it wasn't for Bone Collector, foul life wouldn't be where it's at. If it wasn't for Waddell giving me that feeling that you can be yourself or be real on camera, we would have never started it. Now, Fred Zink is the one that really got yep. me into filming and teaching me the way of filming ducks and geese. But at the same time, I was watching Waddell and what you guys were doing on road trips. And it was just very innovative and it was very intriguing and it was very inspirational. So those doors open. And it's, it's, it's how you keep them open. It's not kicking yeah. them down and saying the foul life is here and we're the best ever. It was never like that. We always wanted to live the care, have people be able to live through us vicariously because we've been living through Phil Robertson and Michael Waddell and all these other guys vicariously through years. And I think that we yep. need that. Yep. It, we think that we need it. And we want people to watch the foul life and get that. Um, you don't have to be a duck hunter to enjoy it kind of attitude because there is a lot of camaraderie in camp life and there's a lot of, of giving back through it. And I think that through the heart of the hunter and the compassion that we have and the respect of the resource that we have as human beings and the way we were brought up. I want people to think about that before they hit that message. And by, and by no means am I thinking Nick Munn or Michael Waddell or Chad Belding or anybody is a victim. Send what you want, but just know that right. when you send stuff like that, it totally turns people off to wanting to help you. Let, let this be a motivational thing. Like, Hey, anybody can get involved in the hunting and the great outdoors. It's there for us. We all have the right yep. to go out and hunt. So let's do it right. Let's do it as brothers when you see nick and mike walk up and get and, and, and sh if you don't want to get an autograph shake their hands and just say thank you for being a good voice for this culture of the american hunter and that's all there is to it you guys are a good voice for what this culture is supposed to be well that's we feel like that's our job so you know it's kind of the easy part really i mean we we pride ourselves on that and and uh you know staying humble and and just trying to you know get as many people involved as possible that's that's what we that's that's our whole motto, you know. That's Don't Nick, make that's Nick Munt. Get Don't, after it. Exactly. Don't make excuses. And that's Nick Munt on Instagram at Nick's Big Game. Oh, actually, it's at, at Nick Munt now. It used to be at Nick's Big Big Game. But I, it's funny. I reached out to a guy named Nick Munt, had, my, had that name. And I said, hey, you know, I've got an Instagram account and I'm gaining a lot of followers. And, you know, what would it take to get your to get your name, Nick Munt. He said, you can have it. It's yours right now. And then he clicked off it. I clicked on it. And uh, he oh, picked up cool. Nick Munt, 2368175 or something like that. But but just super nice guy, you know, is Nick Munt, you know, it's cool. So so it's at <laughs> Nick Munt's big game. Just at Nick Munt, yep. On, at Nick on Munt now on Instagram. Okay, on Twitter as on well. Instagram and Twitter. Yep. You can find Bone Collector on the Outdoor Channel. You can find all of their past seasons on My Outdoor TV, which there's specials going on weekly. Look for new ones coming out of the Mo TV world right now. Nick Munt, if you, you only got one musician to sit around the campfire oh, with you. Oh, that was an easy one. It'd be, it'd be the hag, huh? Yeah. Uh, all right, you come, you come in when you want to, but I'm going to start. Okay. I've been throwing horseshoes over my left shoulder. You better come in, Nick, if you're a Hag fan, because this is my favorite Haggard song. I've been most all my life searching for that four-leaf clover. Yeah, you ran yeah, with you me. Yeah, you ran with me. Yeah. Chasing, Chasing my rainbow. rainbow. Don't you know I love you too? I love you too, and that's, that's the way the love goes. Oh, Nick, Merle. you you can even Merle. sing, man. Merle Haggard. I'm talking like 
my dad passed away in two, my dad passed away in 2006, August 9th, 2006. And every day in his truck, when we'd hunt, we'd listen to the Poncho and Willie or Poncho and Lefty. He can't sing, you know, that album dude. And my lazy day and just monogone fishing. I got to thinking it over the road to the river. Love them all, man. Dude, I can, man. All day, every day. I have a guitar in my studio (laughs) signed by Merle Haggard. He, we, he signed it like the year before he passed away. I have one too. Oh, that's you know, what's so crazy cool. is, um, um, my dad and I, uh, a, a couple of years ago, we went, typically I don't get to go to some of the Western shows cause they're all at the same time as some of, you know, some of the turkey and deer shows that we do. And, uh, so I didn't have anything going over SCI weekend in Vegas and Merle Haggard was going to be playing at the, um, auction banquet. And so, uh, uh, a friend of mine that uh, works with SCI called him and said, Hey, you got to get me a couple tickets to Merle. My dad and I have been big Merle fans, you know, my whole life. And um, I just really want to take my dad to see Merle. It's a pretty intimate deal. There's only a couple hundred people in there. And um, about, a, I don't know, three, four days before the, the show, um, they announced that Merle was canceling his tour because he had pneumonia. Well, he ended up he still played the SCI. So my dad and I got to see him. Um, obviously he was old and, um, he, he had oxygen on, on the stage and just still sounded great. Had his whole band, you know, his son, Ben played his other son, uh, Noel opened up for him. And, um, man, we just really enjoyed the show. We were right up next to the stage, you know, 10 feet from him. And Toby Keith came out, sang a couple songs with him. And literally about six days after that, he passed away. And so, um, that was just probably one of the coolest things ever for my dad and I to get to see him. The last concert he ever played. Good and, for you, um, you know, I wish I'd have gotten to see him earlier when he was like really in his prime, but mm-hmm. even, even then not being able to breathe and having uh, oxygen on, it was just something else. And, um, something I'll never forget. And I got to share that with my dad too. So it was great. good for you guys. Well, Nick, I appreciate it. God bless Merle Haggard. God bless bone collector, Nick Munt. Thank you for being part of the podcast. We'll do it again, my man. Well, thank you so much for having me and man, just, uh, keep up the good work, brother. I appreciate everything. And, and, uh, hopefully, hopefully this will go over well and we can do it again sometime. Oh, we're going, it's going to go over well. And I, I love your story. I appreciate the friendship. I'll be in touch. Um, well, we'll go down another one, talk about the new house, the kids, the marriage, the, uh, everything you're doing. Uh, that's the Nick Munt story. That's the beginning part of it. That's just a real little part of it. If you need a haircut, I don't know if Nick will do that anymore, but he will definitely answer your questions. <laughs> on how to be a bigger, better, better big game hunter. Nick Munt, you the man, bone collector. Not until this virus is gone. Yeah, not until this virus. It's going to happen. That's been another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody. Please support the partners and sponsors that support us. Thank you all so much for the growth. Truly humbling. And today's episode, again, was brought to you by our friends at Jack Daniels, Lynchburg, Tennessee. Enjoy it responsibly. Thank you all very much. Tom, hit that button. This is Leith Lofton. What you going to do when the money's all gone? Money's all gone.